The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 5, David Platt explores Scripture's teaching on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. After looking at the mystery behind the Spirit's identity, as well as the way the Spirit has been viewed historically by the Church, this study focuses on the person and work of the Spirit. Finally, a number of significant issues related to the Spirit are addressed. Blasphemy against the Spirit, baptism in the Spirit, filling with the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit. For The Secret Church 5, study guide, and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC5. And this is Secret Church 5, Episode 3. Holy Spirit, let's dive back in. We've looked at, at personality and deity. Let's look at the Holy Spirit's humility. This is where things get really interesting. Humility. We've, we've just established that the Spirit is God. So the Spirit is equal in essence. He is fully God. The Spirit is no less God than the Father, no less God than the Son. He is not part God in any way. If we leave that truth behind, we go in heresy. We miss what Scripture teaches. So He's fully God. He's equal in essence. But Scripture teaches us that the Spirit is subordinate in function. Subordinate in function. Here's what I mean here. If I could use a human analogy that Scripture uses. Ephesians 5. Husband and a wife. Wives, submit to your husbands. Are wives and husbands equal in value? Absolutely. Men and women, equal in value before God. No question. Woman is not inferior to man. Man not superior to woman. This is not the picture. This is how Ephesians 5 is often twisted in our culture. It's not what Ephesians 5 is teaching. But there is a submission in role that's going on here that does in no way negate the value, the essence of who a man and a woman are. This is a whole picture, not just in marriage, in the church. We submit to one another. That's what Ephesians 5 is talking about in different ways. And children obey their parents. My sons are subordinate in function to me. And we're in the process of making that clear over these years. So that doesn't mean they're any less of a person, anything like that. It's just a different role. Now here's the picture. When it comes to the Spirit of God, when we talk about Him being subordinate in function, we're not saying that he's less than God. But we're saying that the Spirit is subordinate in function. The same way that Jesus is. 1 Corinthians 11.3 talks about this with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, The head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And so the picture there is the Father is the head of Christ. There's not a problem there with inferiority, superiority that's going on. It's in subordination and function. So what we see is the Spirit's humility, a, a subordinate function. He assists the Father. Listen to what the Scripture teaches here. Genesis 1-2. This is at creation. The earth was formless and empty. This is right after, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was active in creation in a subordinate role to the Father, assisting the Father. By the word of the Lord, the word of the heavens made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. We'll pick that up in just a minute. Second, not only with the Father, he assists the Father and he exalts the Son. And Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. Listen to this. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. He will bring glory to me. 
That's what we mean by the humility of the Spirit. The Spirit will glorify Christ by taking what He hears and making it known to you. The Spirit is not in us to make much of the Spirit. The Spirit is in us to make much of the Son. That's the Spirit's humility. We see that in Scripture, the way the Spirit inspires Scripture. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke to the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them, the Spirit of Christ was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The whole picture of Scripture, which Spirit inspires this book to point us to who? To Christ. In Scripture and in salvation, when the Counselor comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes out from the Father, he will testify about me. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks to us about us being transformed in the likeness of Christ by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit enables us to behold the glory of Christ there in 2 Corinthians 3. The word for, for uh, Spirit in the Greek is pneuma. And there's a reason we're called Christians instead of pneumians. Because we're not identified primarily with the Spirit as much as our lives are identified with Christ. And the Spirit testifies to us about Christ. The Spirit dwells in us, but with a humility that exalts Christ. This is such a, it's a, such a beautiful picture. And especially in our culture today that would say that equate our being equal in essence, which meaning we all, to, to mean that we all have to have the same roles and we don't need to submit to one another. Wives don't need to submit to husbands. We don't submit to each other. We live in a culture today that tries to debunk that picture of authority. And there's a beautiful picture here in the very Godhead in the Trinity of the Spirit equal in essence to the Father, submitting to the Father, not begrudgingly, but gladly submitting to the Father in a way that Ephesians 5, it's intended, a wife that gladly submits to a loving husband who's giving his life for her. That's the picture that we see with the Holy Spirit's humility. Now, we can't take this too far to begin to think, well, that means the Spirit's just kind of totally behind the scenes. In some senses, he is because he's glorifying Christ. At the same time, he's front and center in so many facets, in every facet of our Christian life. And that leads us to the Spirit's authority. The Holy Spirit is clearly, undoubtedly, evidently at work. And He makes that clear. He makes His presence known. You look, these are just a couple of instances when the Spirit rested on these men in Numbers 11 and they prophesied. It was very clear the Spirit was making His presence known. Acts 2 at Pentecost. Picture the scene. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, seemed what seem, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Just picture this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's, that's what's called a grand entrance in Acts chapter 2. You make your presence very clearly known when tongues of fire start resting on people's heads. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a way to draw people's attention. He makes his presence known. He makes his power known. God testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Demonstration, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, of the Spirit's power. Middle of Romans 15, 18, and 19. What I have said and done by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit makes His presence known, His power known. He makes His purpose known. This is the whole picture in Acts 1, 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be witnesses in these areas. Acts 13. I, I love this. We read this earlier. Just picture this. While they were worshiping. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Spirit of God, do this in our churches. Do it tonight. Spirit of God, tonight. Speak to individuals' hearts in this room. Call them out. Call them out now. Do it. 
And we'll respond in obedience. Make your purpose known in our lives. This is what the Spirit is doing in the book of Acts. So there's the person of the Holy Spirit. His personality, his deity, his humility, and his authority. That's an overall picture of his person. Now on to his work. The work of the Holy Spirit. What he does. Now here's what I want to do here. Up to this point in secret churches, especially when it comes to the Old Testament and New Testament secret church, what we've done is we have basically taken a a biblical theological approach to understanding Scripture. What what I mean by that is we have, in the second half of the Old Testament and New Testament secret churches, as we step back and we said, okay, what's the overall story of the Old Testament? And what's the overall story of the New Testament? How does it all fit in together in the story of redemptive history? And the Spirit's work is so linked with certain facets of redemptive history that I think the best way to understand his work is by understanding it, not just us coming up with a list, okay, here's 15 things the Holy Spirit does. Instead, I want to see what the Holy Spirit does in the context of the story of Scripture and not just Scripture, but what is being played out in our lives in redemption. Remember, redemption is a word. It means recreation, restoration, reconciliation. It is the story about how God is recreating a people for himself, how he is restoring a people to himself, reconciling a people to himself. So, four major stages in redemptive history. They're going to frame our understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit tonight. First, in creation, we're going to ask what what role does the Spirit play in creation? Then in the fall, how does the Spirit relate to sin in the world in light of sin's entrance to the world in Genesis 3? Then redemption, this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. How does the Spirit recreate us in the image of Christ? How does the Spirit redeem us? And then consummation, how does the Spirit bring our salvation to completion? So we'll start with the Spirit in creation. One key title. Now this is where we're going to be camping out in the Old Testament for a little bit. One key title in the Old Testament for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Very rarely will you see the Holy Spirit, that title in the Old Testament. Instead, you'll see the Spirit of God. And the reason is, it's just the way Hebrew language works. Instead of using an adjective, then a noun, Hebrew language will use two nouns. Instead of saying a righteous man, that's how we would say it. Instead, the Hebrew would talk about a man of righteousness. That's kind of the picture there. And so that's why when you see the Spirit mentioned all throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see not as much reference to the Holy Spirit. You're going to see it translated the Spirit of God most often. One key title, two key truths. The Spirit... First, manifest the presence of God in the world. The Spirit is manifesting the presence of God in the world. Now, he's involved all over Scripture. That's what I mean when I say he has full participation all over Scripture. But he has particular application in the New Testament. It's not that Holy Spirit's not working in the Old Testament. He is. We see about 100 references to him. But his work becomes especially important in the context of the New Covenant, New Testament. And so we're going to see some in the Old Testament, but it really just comes to life in a whole new way in the New Testament. So the Spirit manifests in the presence of God in the world. And second, second key truth, the Spirit displays the power of God at work. The basic picture that I have in my mind an understanding of the Spirit is this is the, He is the presence of God in the world and the power of God at work in the world. Presence of God manifested, power of God at work. The Word of God is described as God's almighty speech and the Spirit of God is described as His almighty breath. We're going to see that in some different, different places where the Spirit of God is, is equated, talked about in terms of the breath of God. Three key themes, and this is how this plays out in creation. First, the Spirit creates. 
And here's what the Spirit does in creation. The Spirit works with the Son to accomplish the will of the Father. We've already looked at Genesis 1-2. Remember, in the beginning, God, we see what Scripture teaches is, is that in the creation of the world, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved in this picture. In the beginning, God, Father, created the heavens and the earth. Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And then you got John chapter 1, verse 1, Colossians chapter 1 that talk about Jesus. And him being preeminent in creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that, uh, that has been made. By him all things were created. All things were created by him and for him, Colossians 1 teaches. And so you see creation attributed to the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The Spirit working with the Son to accomplish the will of the Father. The Spirit gives life to all creation. By his breath the skies became fair. The beauty of the skies would not exist without the Holy Spirit of God. Beauty of the skies would not exist without the Holy Spirit of God. Psalm 104, when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. When you send your spirit, then they are created. It's creating. The spirit gives life to all creatures. Look at Job 33, verse 4 there. The spirit of God has made me. This is where the spirit is equated with the breath of the Almighty. The spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. See how the spirit is linked with the breath of God, the Almighty. The Spirit creates. That's one truth. Second, the Spirit sustains. The Spirit has a sustaining work in creation. He's the divine orderer. That picture in Genesis 1-2 is, is basically the Spirit bringing chaos out of, uh, bring, bringing, uh, not cosmos, out of chaos. It's the picture of bringing order to the world where there was nothing. And now it is it's being created and he's bringing order to it. Same order that, that enables us to exist and and for our life to be sustained on this planet. The Spirit is the divine order. He is the divine preserver. I love this verse in Job 34. If it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all mankind would perish together and man would return to the dust. The fact that you breathe in right now is based on the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We need him for every single breath we take. He preserves man's breath. It's Job 27.3. As long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils. And he preserves man's spirit. Psalm 51 and Isaiah 57. Divine order, divine preserver, and then the divine provider. All kinds of different instances. We're going to talk more, more specifically about this later. But... When he says in Nehemiah 9, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. Isaiah 63, this is when Isaiah is talking about what God had done in leading his people through Moses. And he says, where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them and brought them through the sea? The Spirit of God was providing for them on their journey. The Spirit creates, the Spirit sustains, and then third, the Spirit governs. He controls nature. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. He guides history. Isaiah 34, in the middle there, it says, For it is his mouth that has given the order, and his spirit will gather them together. Psalm 143, may your good spirit lead me on level ground. So these are the two, two themes. The spirit of God as manifesting the presence of God in the world and displaying the power of God at work. Manifesting God's presence, displaying God's power. And he does that in creation through creating, through sustaining, and through governing. The Spirit is at work in creation. Then we get to the fall. Now in Genesis chapter 3, we don't see explicit references to the Spirit in the account of the fallen man. But here's where I want to bring in, and this, as a result, this section is not going to be very long, but I want to bring in 
picture of the Old Testament and some of the New Testament to consider very briefly here how the Spirit relates to sin in our lives as a result of the fall. How does the Spirit relate to sin in our lives? Well, first, one of the clearest descriptions we have from Jesus is in John 16. The Spirit convicts of sin. When the Spirit comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. But this is not just a New Testament thing. Like the Old Testament, the Spirit responds to sin. He, these two truths kind of go together. First, He reflects the pleasure of God in obedience. In our obedience, the Spirit, because He's manifesting the presence of God and displaying the power of God at work, He is reflecting the pleasure of God in our obedience. That's most clear in John 1, John 3, talking about Jesus there. And Jesus, perfectly obedient to God. And you've got the Spirit, this picture of the Spirit coming down from heaven and remaining on Him. We're going to talk more about that later. But the picture is, remember Matthew 3, 16-18 is the account of this picture. And the Spirit comes on down on Him like a dove and the Father says, this is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Reflecting the pleasure of God and the obedience of the Son. But then, also in Scripture, the Spirit reflects the displeasure of God in disobedience. This is where I want you to see this in the Old Testament in particular. I want you to think these verses about judge, from Judges here are about Samson. And I want you to hear what it says. The woman gave birth to a boy named Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And so we see the favor of God on Samson through the Spirit of God. Judges 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. That's... That's the Spirit of God on Samson, enabling him to do that. Judges 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who would explain the riddle. Judges 15, same thing. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his, fan, from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a 1,000 men. Ha! <laughs> Okay, something's going right when, number one, you think to grab a fresh jawbone of a donkey, <laughs> and then it becomes the means by which you uh, just take down your, the people who are coming after you. So this is it's the picture of Samson. It's attributed to the Spirit of God on him. But then what we see in Samson's life is, is a pattern of persistence in sin and persistence in self-sufficiency. And so there comes a point where God shows through his spirit displeasure in Samson's life. Listen to what it says in Judges 16. She called, remember the picture with Delilah, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The presence of God, the spirit of God, in response to his persistence in sin, his self-sufficiency. We see departing here. It's the same picture we see with Saul in 1 Samuel 16. The Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. An evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now we're going to talk more about this, how the Spirit in the Old Testament comes on people and then goes and does not remain on them in the same way which we see in the New Testament. But here's the picture we're seeing here. The Spirit of God is reflecting the pleasure of God in obedience and the displeasure of God in disobedience. And then you think about that in light of the New Testament. What the New Testament teaches. When we sin how does, the spirit, how does that affect the spirit? When we sin, we grieve the spirit. Ephesians 4, Isaiah 63 both talk about this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When we sin, we've seen this in Acts 5, we lie to the spirit. 
when we sin? I want you to just think with me. Any sin. This is the seriousness of sin in Scripture. We grieve the Spirit of God. The way we're taught. Indulging in this thought or saying this or doing this or failing to do this. Any sin. We grieve the Spirit. We lie to the Spirit. We resist the Spirit. When we sin, we defile the Spirit. This is specifically there in 1 Corinthians 6 in the context of sexual immorality, which defiles your body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We defile the Spirit. When we sin, we quench the Spirit. We put out the Spirit's fire. Sin is like pouring water on the flame in us. And when we sin, we insult the Spirit. Hebrews 10, 29, at the very end, who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctify him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. Our sin certainly affects the Spirit, and the Spirit responds to our sin. But here's the good part. Lest we get a totally negative picture of the Spirit's relationship to sin in our lives, the Spirit gives victory over sin. We live in the Spirit. This is Romans 8. But if this, by the Spirit you put a death the misty to the body, you will live. This is the, Romans 8 is the triumphant chapter, the Spirit. Right after Romans 7, not a picture of the Spirit. You've got this waging war. Don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For, for, the good is, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's crying out. There's a war in me. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. He gives victory over sin. And then the rest of that chapter, if by the spirit you put de death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. This is the picture, the triumph of the spirit. What grace, what mercy that the one we insult does not condemn us. When we grieve and resist and lie to, it gives life and grace and mercy and victory over sin. That's good news. We live in the Spirit. We battle in the Spirit. Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authority, power, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then you get to the end and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the who? Sword of the Spirit. This is Jesus and his temptation, his battle. When he is tempted in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, what does he battle with? It's a word. It's the sword of the Spirit and fights with temptation. This is why we hide the word in our hearts because it's our weapon in battles with sin. It's the sword of the Spirit. We live in the Spirit, we battle in the Spirit, and we pray in the Spirit. This is the follow-up to the whole picture on the armor of God right in Ephesians 6, 8, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So that's just a brief treatment there of how the Spirit responds to sin, reflecting the pleasure of God in obedience, the displeasure of God in disobedience, how the Spirit responds to our sin when we lie, resist, grieve Him, but then He gives us victory over sin. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.